Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Ryan Curtis. President Obama says Russia will not be allowed to carve up Ukraine. Mario Draghi, the ECB chief, calls Europe an island of stability. And Newsweek says it has identified the founder of Bitcoin. It is an L.A. man called Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto, a Japanese-American living with his mom in Southern California. More in just a few minutes. And here is an audio tease of this morning's program. This morning, I signed an executive order that authorizes sanctions on individuals and entities responsible for violating the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. So that's uh, the president talking about Russia. And we have this one from the ECB president, Mario Draghi. Just last week, I broke the story that Fox News broke the story that Hillary suffers from a rare debilitating condition doctors call aging. Well, now, Papa Bear Bill O'Reilly has found yet another reason she should be taken out of the not yet running. There's got to be some downside to having a woman president, right? Something. I mean, think about this. Think about this one. Think about this one for a second. Yeah, you'll have to think about that one for a little bit longer. I'll run you the rest of that piece a little bit later. Clearly, that was not uh, our Mario Draghi. You have to put that one in the oops category. I will bring you some comments from Mario Draghi, and I will bring you the rest of that story uh, from Stephen Colbert, but that will be a little bit later in the program. So let's talk about what's coming up uh, on this show. Uh, what does the high level of margin finance indicate about the mood of American investors? We'll talk with Enzio von Fyle founder of MCL Partners. He cautions that high amounts of leverage could be a warning side, uh, sign. We'll also take a look at the fur trade with Renita Malholtra-Hora, and we'll also look at motorsports ahead of next weekend's Australian kickoff to the 2014 Formula One season. Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP, will be along for that. Okay, let's get to uh, the main news flow this morning. President Obama has imposed sanctions on some Russian officials. This morning, I signed an executive order that authorizes sanctions on individuals and entities responsible for violating the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine or for stealing the assets of the Ukrainian people. According to my guidance, the State Department has also put in place restrictions on the travel of certain individuals and officials. These decisions continue our efforts to impose a cost on Russia. President Obama says a referendum in Crimea, which was planned, would have been illegal. The proposed referendum on the future of Crimea would violate the Ukrainian Constitution and violate international law. Any discussion about the future of Ukraine must include the legitimate government of Ukraine. In 2014, we are well beyond the days when borders can be redrawn over the heads of democratic leaders. Well, meantime, the pro-Russian authorities in Crimea pressed ahead with plans for the referendum. They want to break away from Ukraine and become part of Russia, and they are ignoring that warning by President Obama. Briefly, Asian markets are moving higher this morning. The Nikkei is up 122 points. That's an eight-tenths of one percent gain to 15,257. In Australia, the ASX 200 up 11 points. In Seoul, the Kospi picking up five points. So it looks like a pretty nice day today if you're risk-on, if you're long in the market. 
markets. And the dollar yen is trading at 103.05, so it's a weaker yen, a stronger uh, dollar, and that's generally good for Japanese equities. The euro is trading at 1.3863, so the euro is stronger after the move on uh, the ECB's part. So let's take a look now, and I will bring you comments from Mario Draghi. On interest rates, the European Central Bank simply stood pat. We continue to expect the key ECB interest rates to remain at present or lower levels for an extended period of time. This expectation is based on an overall subdued outlook for inflation extending into the medium term. Given the broad-based weakness of the economy, the high degree of unutilized capacity and subdued money and credit creation. Mario Draghi and uh, markets seem to like those comments. Now some other interesting news. Newsweek says it has found the real Satoshi Nakamoto, the alias of the creator of Bitcoin. He apparently lives with his mom in Southern California, but the media story has led some to question whether the right person has been identified, and that may be a story for another day. Uh, the Newsweek article, which um, came out last night, on uh, digitally at least, says the man's birth name was in fact Satoshi Nakamoto. When approached by a reporter, the Japanese-American said he was, quote, no longer involved in that, and I cannot discuss it. And uh, it was kind of interesting because reporters chased him all around Los Angeles in the past day, and he decided not to talk. Well, in a related story, the recent collapse of two Bitcoin vendors, Mt. Gox and Flexcoin, is, according to some, not a death knell for the future of digital currencies. That, at least, is the view of network security expert Go Su Grim. Mr. Go, the Asian security advisor for network security firm F-Secure, says while rising concerns about the cryptocurrency will take a toll on the value of Bitcoin, newer regulated versions will likely take its place. I, I see the value to to actually plateau now um, because uh, we're just getting really a little worried right now, and uh, this is actually more like a stepping stone for future coins to come about and uh, what what cryptocurrency is actually all about. You know, maybe in future we have the same model but with a bit more regulation, like you know how we've been asking you know who's going to regulate this. Uh, that's how I see it. Uh, will it die? Uh, I wouldn't think it would just die. It would take some time, but it would be replaced by a lot of other other coins, other models. That brings the time to 10 minutes after 8 o'clock. And thank you very much for listening to this program on Radio 3, Money for Nothing, where we look at business and finance and markets and investments. And we're joined by Enzio Von File, founder of MCL Partners. Enzio, good morning. You're Brian. So lots to talk about. Um, first, uh, not much of a surprise, I guess, on the ECB, uh, not moving interest rates lower. That had been tipped, but then inflation kind of picked up a little bit. And it seems that they had uh, some scope just to to stay uh, on hold. And uh, do you think that's the right move? I'm afraid so. It's a very emasculated currency. I've never been a friend of the euros because I think it's the, the the Bundesbank in its discipline disciplinary way has been completely emasculated, and I'm afraid that 
the euro is just going to become part of this huge European welfare museum, which is supporting a bunch of non-reforms on the labor markets front. And that's what I fear somewhat for Europe. So you're very much a sound money guy from, from Germany, uh, echoing the views per, perhaps of the finance minister. You betcha. Okay, so we'll leave that to the side then. Uh, I should mention that on Wall Street, stocks were higher. We see the S&P 500 now at a new all-time high. It wasn't up that much, just not 0.2%, but that is a record, 1877. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added 61 points to 16,421. There was a little bit of optimism, NCO, because fewer Americans uh, than projected filed applications for jobless benefits. So that drop was seen as an encouraging sign. We've got the big uh, non-farm payrolls report out tonight. And there was also some separate data that indicated factory goods orders in January were down 0.7% compared with the forecast for a decline of 0.5%. So that would be seen as uh, slightly bad news. But it brings up an interesting point, NCO. That if the jobs report isn't very good, or if it's really good, investors seem to think that both of those stories are good for the stock market. Obviously, if it's not very good, it means the Fed may slow down its tapering process. If it's great and the Fed stays doing what it's doing, people just think, wow, the economy is coming on. Well, yes, and there's a third option, Otashik's third way in this, which is that perhaps as my esteemed mother-in-law taught me years ago, the wrong people are beginning to get rich. And what I mean by that is that the level of margin financing on the American markets is getting very, very big again. And that is just not good if you have people buying stocks on margin and then maybe not having a whole lot of reserves in the back room with which to cover that margin in case things go shonky. Now, I think it's the stock market in the U.S. in line with an improving economic time in America will continue moving up, but in a zigzag fashion. And that's where these margin punters are going to get caught out. But wait a second. I thought you were pretty positive in the past on on U.S. stocks. And are you changing your view now? You think the margin finance story is the most important aspect? No. I think that the trend is my friend and the trend continues going up. So look to envisage a saw which has lots of little sort of spikes in it. You will find though a number of drops down on the way up in this five-year bull market that we've had. And one of those trash crashes is what I've called them will be induced very much by people overextending themselves in the margin department and then getting whacked when the stock market dips down just a little bit. But the trend is definitely the app. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people would cite earnings for that. Uh, this morning, I was just having a look at uh, average S&P earnings per share. And we're, we're up there around 115 to 120 now. And, you know, it was down to about 50 in 2008. So when the crisis hit, earnings per share, the average earnings per share of S&P 500 companies, that's the best 500 companies in America, supposedly, uh, was at about 50. Well, it's more than doubled now. It's up, you know, around, uh, as I say, 115 to 120. Although you could look inside that and say, well, yes, but companies have been buying back stock and it, maybe it's not pure. Do you see it as pure? I do, because I think that the American go go ahead can do attitude is very much alive and kicking having lived there very happily for many years 
I think that that's part of it, that the Americans are far better at reinventing themselves than any other countries that I've lived in, being Germany, the UK, and of course Asia. And I think that that can-do attitude is coming through in more pure earnings increases. I think that America is reinventing the toolbox. I just wish that they would do more about the education policy, but that's another issue. Yeah, that is another issue, and it's a long-term issue, isn't it? Yes. Uh, um, The unwinding of the Fed juice, the stimulus that's been provided, the Mm. so-called QE, we're in three or four rounds of it, uh, it is being tapered now. Does that concern you about its effect on America or emerging markets, which have taken a little bit of a hit? No, I think that it's been very much a an overdone event by banks who probably are rigging the stock markets anyway. And so what I feel is that the $10 billion tapering ticket size really in relation to America's money supplies, the monetary base, the M1s, the M2s, is just very, very small. So it's more of a signal effect. But I think that the American government, the American players know far too well that, first of all, there's no reform to fiscal policy in America because of our beloved politicians on the Hill. And secondly, thus, that the only thing that can help improve the U.S. economy is going to be tapering um, or not tapering too much. And I think that that just will continue a little bit sort of easy does it, but not a whole lot. And we have seen a little bit of improved sentiment uh, around the rest of the world outside the U.S. The U.S. has been going great gangbusters, but as I mentioned earlier, emerging markets had had struggled a little bit. Now we've seen uh, something of a pickup, and some people are citing that the developments coming out of the NPC in Beijing um, while a little disappointing on reform, are not so disappointing on growth. Uh, have you had a chance to take a look at the growth target and some of the reforms being mooted there? And what's your impression? The, without knowing the specifics, because I don't read Chinese, sadly, the overall impression that I get is continued Chinese pragmatism. They know that they have to create jobs. Keynes is not unemployed in China. What I mean by that is that the Keynesian model of getting people to go and build roads and bridges actually works in China. They want to push the investment and the consumption levers, and I think that's all good news. So I'm very much optimistic, and that's why I'm suggesting in my website that people actually be looking at buying into the Hong Kong-China story precisely because everybody is so negative on China. Okay, and so you'll stay with us for a moment. I want to take a break to pay some bills, and then we'll chat some more. This is Money for Nothing. The time is 17 minutes after 8 o'clock. An unlicensed guest house may seem comfortable enough, but it may not meet structural or fire safety standards. If there's an accident, the consequences can be serious. Operating an unlicensed guest house is a criminal offense. Convicted offenders may be jailed and end up with a criminal record. For information on licensed guest houses, please visit the Office of the Licensing Authority website at www.hadla.gov.hk. Stay at licensed guest houses. Enjoy safe travel. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. That's what I want. Just last week, I broke the story that Fox News broke the story that Hillary suffers from a rare, debilitating condition doctors call aging. Well, now... Papa Bear Bill O'Reilly has found yet another reason she should be taken out of the not yet running. There's got to be some 
downside to having a woman president, right? Something. I mean, think about this. Think about this one. Think about this one for a second. A female president invites aggression. All right, let, let me throw this out, because I know this is going to happen. All right, so say Hillary Clinton, and she's the only woman in play right now, uh, is elected. Well, you know the Chinese are going to test her right away. They're going to move warships into certain areas, and uh, they're going to bing, 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 bing. Let's see what we have here. They did the same thing with Barack Obama. They tested yeah. it. But now you're going to have, you're going to have, Putin's going to do it, Chinese going to do it, certainly North Korea's going to do it. They'll snatch some Americans, they'll kidnap them. They'll do all of that just to see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, we got Obama in there now and the Chinese testing him. Bing, 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 bing. I don't know. I don't know what that means in Mandarin, but you get a woman in there. Get a woman in there. Bing, bong, boom. The whole world goes after her. Like Bill says, Chinese going to do it. Then North Korea steals our families. Bippity boppity boo. Putin shows up with an air rifle. Shim chimmery. Trank darts her. Humana, humana, humana. Karzai. He flips the script. Afghanistan invades America. Ramalama ding dong. Sharks. Sharks are lured to the White House by her moon's blood. Mama say, mama sa, mama kusa. America's over. Nanu, nanu, nanu. Yeah, Stephen Colbert and a return to the funny bits here on Money for Nothing. We'll see if we can keep it up and bring you a few more in the coming weeks. Well, we're joined in our studios by Enzio Von File, founder of MCL Partners, generally a more serious man than Stephen Colbert. Enzio. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, just um, back to China for a moment, yes. um, because the Chinese stock market has been weak and Hong Kong mm-hmm. has been sort of weak. The finance minister, Lo Jiwei, said yesterday that 7.2% would actually meet this year's target of about 7.5%, which was what Li Keqiang put out, was about 7.5%. So he was trying to soften expectations for an economy that may be at risk from swelling debt. Final question for you. Do you worry about swelling debt in China? I worry about swelling debt when it comes, when it oozes from the shadow banking system, yes, because I think that the shadow banks are in bed with the quoted banks, are in bed with the interbank market, and we get straight into the European money market problems. So I'm concerned about the swelling debt only on the personal private level in the shadow banking system. I'm not worried about the domestic public government debt because it's like in Japan, it's a domestic debt. It's not an international debt. Okay, briefly, it needs to be cleaned up, but does it blow up? The national debt, no, it won't blow up. Okay. All right, Enzio, thanks very much. Uh, Always enjoy it. Uh, Packed program. We've got Danny Hicks coming up in a minute about the business of sport, and we've got this feature about fur. So many thanks to Enzio Von File, founder of MCO Partners. Well, let's take a look at animal rights. Animal rights activists targeted the Hong Kong International Fur and Fashion Fair last week with accusations that the high profile of fur trade is nothing but cruelty in the guise of fashion. The Hong Kong Fur Trade Association is doing what it can to deny this. Our reporter, Renita Malhotra-Hora, spoke with members of both sides to get the story. The global demand for fur is on the rise. The most recent figures estimate sales in 2012 to be 15.6 billion U.S. dollars. Of this, Asia accounts for just over 35%, and Hong Kong is definitely the trading hub. But the fur trade is contentious. It involves the cruel killing of animals, most often when they're alive, to ensure maximum quality of the raw material. 
Animal rights groups all over the world are constantly up in arms against the trade, and a series of local animal rights groups led a protest last week against the Hong Kong International Fur and Fashion Fair. But Fritz Chan, the director of the Hong Kong Fur Federation, said that the media and local animal rights groups often misrepresent the situation. That as long as American, European, and Chinese regulations are met, there is no cruelty involved in Europe and in America. And in a lot, in a lot of parts in China, animals are slaughtered using very scientific technique, techniques that are regulated and heavily researched and supported by scientific evidence. The inhumane methods that that are being used are against the law. That is why I say that if the, if the public finds out any kinds any such information, they should report. To the local authorities, but David Wong of Animal Earth doesn't agree. If you look closer into the European context, the so-called regulations are only conventions or、uh, general measures that the fur traders are following, along the very broad umbrella of animal welfare. And many of these measures are aimed at animals raised for food rather than for fur. Even when they do, they often limit it to a few species, while many other species are entirely neglected. And worst of all, these regulations are not legally binding, and some of these rules are even contrary to the WTO's、uh, principles of free trade. So the implementation is、uh, problematic, and there are fur companies who circumvent these restrictions by clever international trade arrangements, in particular with Asian countries like China. So these empty regulations are just their ways of capitalizing on the misinformed consumers. As David says, many of these regulations are aimed at animals raised for food. In the fur industry, then, following these regulations becomes a matter of what makes pure business sense. Any mistreatment, any、uh, poor handling of the animals, of the animal, of animal welfare. The result will immediately reflect upon the quality of their skin and the quality of their fur. So it it does not only make legal、uh, and and moral sense, but it also makes perfect business sense to ensure the highest level of、uh, animal welfare for the for the for the animal animals in the fur trade. I mean, it's really difficult to compare food to fur. Food is necessary for survival. Is fur necessary for survival? If one thing that I've learned from Kazakhstan, I should say something that reinforced my belief when I visited Kazakhstan, is how fur is an absolute necessity to some people. Most of us have not experienced minus forty degrees Celsius weather, but in those in 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 Kazakhstan, extreme weather can get unhumanly inhumanly cold. Negative forty is a norm, and The the thing the way they they put it, nothing, nothing else works there. Even down, even faux fur, they don't work. Only real fur can allow us to survive in this kind of cold weather. The truth of the matter is that most fur is going into fashion, just pure, plain fashion. A lot of us have needs to be fulfilled, and then we have wants. That we hope, aspire to fulfill, and I think it's very natural for us. It's what drives the global economy. I will compare this to the leather industry as well. People use leather for、um, furniture. People use leather for、uh, accessories, bags, and shoes. 
A lot of this is also heavily regulated. Fritz then took me outside to show me an array of fur coats, dresses, and accessories that had been created by Hong Kong's most stylish of designers. Clearly, this was an example of want rather than the need that he spoke of earlier. But in the fashion industry, wanting comes at the risk of an animal's life and the cruelty involved in killing it. You have to wonder then, how much do you really need it? Renita Malhotra Hora reporting. Well, the time is 26 minutes after 8, and we switch to sport now. The 2014 Formula One racing season officially getting underway in Melbourne next weekend. And Danny Hicks from AFP joins us. Danny, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So a raft of new regulations and car specs uh, yeah. mean there could be some surprises. Tell me about it. Well, they could, yeah. Um, they've completed uh, pre-season testing in Bahrain last week. And, uh, you know, the, it looks like the established order is going to be upset a little bit in that uh, Red Bull have been struggling so far. Just uh, without going through every technical detail of the regulations, the biggest change has been in the engines in that uh, the 2.4-litre uh, engines uh, normally aspirate that have been in use since 2006 are now out the window and from this season onwards uh, they're moving to leaner, greener 1.6 litre V6 engines uh, which are turbocharged and uh, basically they're only manufactured by three three companies at the moment, the MGs Formula 1, that's Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault and it seems like Renault, which powers the Red Bulls, are having a lot of reliability problems with with the new setup. And will it affect in any way, uh, do you think, the quality of the racing? Um, Well, all these regulation changes and all these things coming in are always designed to try and make the racing more exciting. One of the things this season as well is there are going to be double points in the final race in Abu Dhabi. Uh, That's to stop, you know, the scenario we've had in the last couple of seasons where Red Bull and uh, Sebastian Vettel have kind of run away with the championship and had it sewn up three or four races before the end of the season. Mm. Bit of an artificial thing, in my opinion. I mean, it'd be like awarding double points for the last Premier League football game game of the season it's just to me it doesn't smack of sport do it in other ways but the problem is you know that the one of the things formula one is trying to drive at is to become more efficient more more green and and more uh, and and less costly but the sport is enormous in terms of the amount of money so eye-watering sums these teams spend i mean someone like red bull be spending 300 million dollars this year just to run their team for one season ferrari are, are reported to be spending 470 million dollars and uh they're talking about a cost cap coming in next season of something around $200 million per team. Still enormous amounts of money just to uh, put on 20 races a year. So the prize money is up. The sponsorship is strong. Um, Huge. Are the numbers massive in terms of people watching? They are, yeah. Uh, One of the most globally watched TV sports, uh, without a doubt. Certainly the the most watched uh, motorsport uh, series, uh, whether, whether it's motorbikes, uh, even eclipsing the sort of things like IndyCar and NASCAR in the States, which are obviously a very domestic thing, which, which gain huge following. But uh, globally, yeah, Formula One is, is the thing that everybody wants to be in, and that's why it, it can attract the money. And uh, how, how easily can you draw a line from the amount of money spent to increased sales of some of these big car makers? Uh, well, I think, obviously... It, it, with the Ferraris and the McLarens who are producing high-end uh, cars that the likes of you and me could buy if we maybe won the Mark VI. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they, there is a spin-off into... Obviously, the, the glamour, the prestige of, of winning the Formula One uh, translates into sales on the road. Um, and some of this technology that we see in Formula One and have seen over the past few years does... does 
benefit us all in the end. Uh, the, 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 the energy recovery system and the hybrid systems that they're now going to run in cars where they, they, they top up the power with electrical systems, they're going to have a, an effect with us. They're going to make us uh, have greener, more efficient hybrid cars on the road. We've had traction control, launch control, ABS braking, all these sort of things that were first introduced in motorsport, which are now you know, kind of standard on, uh, on a lot of cars. So, yeah, there, there is a spin-off for us, but uh, does it justify the huge costs going in? I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. all about, it's all about ego and glamour at the end of the day. All right, Danny, thanks very much. Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP Sport. Markets are higher in Asia this morning. The Nikkei's up 145 points. Lots of money flowing into these markets. Uh, people seem to be buying into this idea that we're in a secular bull market. There's a lot of money that needs to be put to work. It's been sitting on the balance sheets, and now it's starting to flow. Australia higher, Seoul higher, and the dollar now trading at 103.08 yen. Checking the weather today. Looks like it's going to be a little bit more cool weather. Cloudy to overcast with some rain. <laughs> The news with Samantha Butler. President Obama has held a further lengthy telephone conversation with Vladimir Putin, emphasizing that Russia's actions in Crimea are a violation of Ukrainian sovereignty. Earlier, Mr. Obama said a proposed referendum in the region on joining Russia would violate international law. The proposed referendum on the future of Crimea would violate the Ukrainian constitution and violate international law. Any discussion about the future of Ukraine must include the legitimate government of Ukraine. In 2014, we are well beyond the days when borders can be redrawn over the heads of democratic leaders. Ukraine's acting president said the referendum was illegitimate. Ukraine's Paralympic team members have raised their country's flag in Sochi in Russia without knowing whether or not they'll boycott the Games, which are due to open later today. The 